With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is SoCal Hockey Talk. A look at the best action on the ice. It's SoCal Hockey Talk with Andy Zilch on Extra 1360. Hello and welcome to the show. As we open up the month of March on SoCal Hockey Talk, thanks for listening on this Tuesday evening. It's an irregular night here as we'll return to our Monday schedule again in two weeks on the 21st, but we will enjoy a great episode tonight. My name is Andy Zilch, the host of the show and the voice of the San Diego Gulls. We'll talk some Gulls hockey in just a moment. First, we'll set up the show, and it involves a former Gulls defenseman and Olympian, Brian Cooper. He will kickstart us here this evening with a great conversation about his experience representing Team USA, representing our country, and getting the call, and how it all came to fruition, too. Very intriguing story of how he became a defenseman for Team USA in the Olympics in Beijing, China. So very excited to talk with him. We'll talk with Stanley Cup champion and Gaul's assistant coach, Max Talbot. His illustrious career that he had and playing with Sidney Crosby and the steps that he took to win a Stanley Cup. And he'll reflect on that season and, of course, talk about him wanting to get into the coaching aspect and what drew him to that. And finally, we'll talk to Three Steps Forward founder and CEO, Doug Younger, an excellent partnership between Three Steps Forward and the San Diego Gulls. We'll talk to him about the synergy between the two and then also a podcast that he has generated great success with. So a very entertaining episode that we have tonight. And we want to talk to you first before we get underway about the Gulls finally returning home on Saturday. It is Star Wars night and after the longest road trip in team history, the Gulls will welcome Back to the Pechanga Arena with a lot of fans, too. This is going to be a hot ticket on Saturday. The game starts at 7 p.m. against the Ontario Reign. Great matchup already, but we just loaded the deck here on Saturday. Free pregame tailgate from 5 to 7. Star Wars characters will be there. We'll have a food truck there and drink specials. And then once you get inside the arena, Darth Vader-inspired warm-up jerseys. We'll have an intermission lightsaber demo. It's going to be a fantastic night. Get your tickets to Star Wars Night at San Diego Gulls. Well, now let's dive into this episode here. We don't have much time, and we have some really good conversations to get to. So let's bring in Brian Cooper, former Gulls defenseman and Olympian. How does it feel when I say that, that you wore the red, white, and blue at the Olympics representing your country? Uh, It's still pretty surreal. Like, it's kind of hard to believe that was actually actually a thing. Um, Like, I got to represent USA on the junior level with like the world junior championships in Canada and then a couple like Ivan Holinka and the five nations but then to think of it you know fast this is in that's in 2010 2011 so then fast forward you know a decade and to have the opportunity to do again on the biggest USA stage in the Olympics um, it's just crazy to look back and think that it actually happened how did everything come about and did you kind of have a hunch that you might be wearing the Team USA jersey after the NHL players weren't going to be involved? 
Yeah, once they pulled out, and like a couple guys in the team here in Sweden were just like, oh, have you talked to your agent and done anything about it? And I go, actually, that's a pretty good idea. So I reached out to him just to throw my name in the hat for like the opportunity. And it was kind of like a little bit of a whirlwind when it came to that's a good, he said, that's a good idea. I'll get in touch because he's an East Coast guy, knows, has a relationship with Coach Quinn and, uh, and the GM, Beezer. So he reached out, kind of put my name in the hat. Um, and it was just really a waiting game after that until he kind of came through, I think, or after Christmas. It was like, ah, they might go a little younger with the NCAA guys because they're the ones in 2018 who I think had more of a bigger impact. And USA Hockey likes to give those guys opportunities. So then in the future, they've already had the experience and they're all set. And so I was, of course, disappointed and, you know, throwing a few words in there that I think some older guys can be can be beneficial team to help guide the guide the younger guys. And he's like, all right, I'll get back on them. And then he said, throw together a little highlight video. And so I did send it to him. And then about a week, it was just a waiting game after that, about three to five days, just kind of waiting. And then finally he gave me a congrats that Beezer will be calling me to give me the official invite. And it was a uh, pretty surreal to kind of go through a little whirlwind of emotions. And it kind of ended up like I hoped, like we had the 15 college university players and then, uh, eight or ten older guys, and I think it was kind of the team dynamic that I was hoping for. When you were putting together your highlights, it's a demo. How did you go about that? What were you wanting to put together? And that must have been pretty nerve wracking, right? Yeah, because my agent goes, "Highlight, highlight your grit and skill." I'm like, "Well, when I was in San Diego too, and dealing with the Ducks and drafted, they kind of saw as like, a, you know." if nobody noticed you on the ice, you're kind of doing your job. And it's like, okay, well, how am I supposed to throw together a highlight video of myself when my job's not to be noticed on the ice in that way, shape, or form? So uh, I was just kind of just pick some bits and pieces of the game from earlier this year, just, you know, solid plays, first passes, uh, being physical, kind of getting in the guy's face, and I guess you could say – shit disturber really but <laughs> and then kind of a couple more year before just because we had some delays and whatnot so just to like i did my best like i said highlight the grit and skill and i think they appreciate it and he said throw some music together on it so we put on um some rock and roll and about a three minute video and hope for the best <laughs> nice well hey it worked out so when you got the call from john van beesbrook you knew you were going to be on team usa who did your first phone call go to celebrated my wife was on the couch next to me when I got the call so of course celebrating with her first and foremost and then it was kind of nerve-wracking because they still they weren't going to announce the team for about another 10 days so uh, I didn't really know how to go about like telling kind of friends and family because I'm like oof we barely just got on the team the last thing I want to do is like say something to my parents and then my parents say something to a friend and all of a sudden it's in the Anchorage Daily News and now I'm like, <laughs> right, this guy can't be trusted you're off the team yeah. so I'll Mind, but I was like, you know what? I think just have to just. I called my brother and and his wife and same thing. Just like lay it low, and he understood. And then just really adamant to my parents about it too. Like can't say anything, can't say anything. I know you guys will be proud, but just wait the ten days. And then my wife's family, same thing. Like just wait, just wait, just wait. Once it's announced, like not even like when it's announced because they're not as on social media. It's like we will give you the green light that you can tell people <laughs> just to be safe. So. Just kind of that immediate family is a pretty special moment to share with them. We're talking with Brian Cooper, former Gulls defenseman and representative of Team USA in the most recent Olympics. 
when you go overseas, uh, just give us the experience. I, I know this could be a long story, but uh, try to get it as succinct as you can. Just what was everything like going and playing and then finally putting on that Team USA jersey uh, again for the second time in your life? Uh, it was actually pretty smooth. Uh, I was coming from, we had some away games up near Stockholm, so I just stayed a couple nights there before I flight out. It was more just kind of hectic with uh, getting this green code to get into China. Before our travel, we needed about the 96-hour PCR test, which I got. And then when I was in Stockholm, needed a 72-hour one. And then once those all came back negative and approved, and then there's some customs declaration stuff that's just a bunch of paperwork and just making sure where you were, where you're going to. All And USA Hockey did a good job. They had uh, just like a step-by-step -step directions and names and numbers that we could just kind of plug and chug. And so once the test came back negative, it was all good. So then we flew, I flew to Amsterdam and then on, from Amsterdam to Beijing. So it actually wasn't too bad to travel. Two hours into Amsterdam and then nine, I think, to Beijing. And like as smooth as travel as can be. And then once we got there, kind of same thing. When we got in, all the, the Chinese uh, workers working there had, had white jumpsuit on, like face masks, like the face shields, the blue masks underneath. And I don't even like, kind of Michelin man type stuff. <laughs> Same thing, just kind of going through, you just green code, get your COVID test on arrival, and then just kind of, you just get sent with your plane, kind of where you're going, and then they just, they're on buses, which village you're going to. Uh, uh, and after that, like I said, it was pretty smooth overall. USA met us before we got there, showed us to our rooms, and um, and then once we were in the village, it was pretty, pretty easy. Like it was more open than I thought it would be. You could wander from building to building. You just had to have your mask on and credentials at all times. Uh, we could go see events that we wanted to. We just need to get some tickets. And by the end of it, it's just like, ah, your pass will kind of get you in. I think it was got a little more lax as things were going. Mm -hmm. uh, and testing every day. Other than that, it was pretty standard hockey routine of wake up, breakfast, practice, video, uh, kind of lunch, hang out until dinner and just kind of get to know the teammates before then. And then the feelings for getting in there and the anticipation, because I didn't get to practice with the team in L.A. before I left. So it was like they got to know each other for the first few days. And, you know, the younger guys knew each other from university. A few of the older guys knew each other playing pro before. So I, I didn't know any of the guys, which was kind of strange, but just had to get out of the comfort zone and meet new people. So uh, it was a welcoming group and – it actually made some good friends. I think people I'll stay in contact with for a long time and excited to watch the younger guys' careers as they will probably, a lot of those guys will be studs in NHL even in the next year or by the end of their university season this year. So uh, it's pretty special to kind of see them in, in future Olympics too. Was it nerve-wracking having to do the daily COVID testing and be like, uh-oh, if I pop positive, I might not be playing here? Yeah, I think... Um, a bunch of guys had false positives when they got to China because um, you did the nasal pharyngeal or whatever, so they did a throat swab and the nose. Mm -hmm. And I think they raised the limit of the tissue or whatever they had going on that is that you're positive. So a bunch of guys had it just because they had the virus. It was the common theme of they were positive within 30 days before they actually left. Right. But they had all the negative tests leave in L.A., um, and then once they got there, I think they just went so far deep back there, they just got like dead, the dead virus. 
So then they were kind of in isolation for a day, just within the room. They tested again, and then they were all clear. It happened for multiple people, I think, on multiple teams. So it wasn't too much of a worry. And then once we were there, I mean, everyone's testing consistently, and you're not leaving that closed loop that they put us in. So I wasn't overly worried about it, and I just strictly did the throat swabs because I didn't want a false positive, you know. Oddly enough, in the two years that COVID's been going on, I haven't even had it yet, so I don't really know what to expect. So I was a little nervous because I'm like, okay, of course, the one time I'm going to get COVID is before I go to the Olympics. I'm not going to be able to go, but thankfully it went smoothly and everything kind of was pretty standard, just routine, like wake up, go get tested, go to breakfast. So it just was, um, like I said, just became part of a morning routine to get things done, taken care of, and it all went smoothly. We're talking with Brian Cooper, former Gauls defenseman and Team USA defenseman as well. I want to dip back to your post-San Diego days first. You jump over and you play with the Milwaukee Admirals, and then you go overseas with Sweden, and, and you've been there ever since. What was the decision behind going to Sweden? And obviously, you must like it. Uh, it's, it was just an odd time. Like I loved my time in San Diego and just... You know, they kind of keep an old defensive core there. And that's how I was going to get another. I was going to, I could have came back on an AHL deal, but it just wasn't, really wasn't working for me. And only playing half the games and being the age I was, I wanted a little more opportunity. So that's why I tried, tried something different with Nashville. And they like having guys develop. And I know their, their motto is like the road to Nashville goes through Milwaukee because I think everyone on the team at some point has played played for the Admirals, and I was like, okay, it's a good good chance, opportunity before. I think I had good interviews with them before when I was at the Combine, so they were familiar with who I was, style of game, and, you know, things just didn't necessarily work out. I pulled my groin a little bit, tough to get in the lineup, and then they sent me down to Atlanta for 10 days in the coast, and I was like, all right, well, this is great, but I'm ready to come back up, and they're like, oh, we're comfortable with the team, and it was just like, all right, kind of business issues, business decision at that point that, okay, well, I'm just going to go over to the Europe and kind of get my foot in the door before the next season. And so I end up going over to the AIK in Stockholm in the second league and have a good year there trying to help the team promote. And we end up to the top league, but we end up uh, losing. And then I go to Northern Sweden in the second league as well. And we have a, I have a great year. Defenseman of the year for the league, we're in poised to play in promotion and possibly move up. And then COVID kind of <laughs> ended that one. And but I had a good enough year to get recognized and um, get promoted my, just personally to the SHL and here in Oscar Shammer I've been the last two years and I really enjoy it. Like Sweden, it's, it's known for its hardworking league and producing good players. And I mean, there's some young studs that we have in the league. Um, so there's scouts and stands every night. I know a lot of guys' goals too when they're still younger and maybe haven't gotten an opportunity to do NHL. Like there's lots of Lots of eyes watching them. They can go back to the States. And, you know, I'm kind of a limbo, too, where I'd, I'd like to come back to the States. But at the same time, like, I enjoy the Swedish hockey. I enjoy the Swedish people and the culture. It's not a – there's a lot of English here, so it's not too bad when it comes to culture shock. The food's fine. Um, just got to get used to the darkness in winter like I had growing up in Alaska that I, that I missed out Missed out on San Diego for two winners. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, let's talk a little bit more about your time in San Diego and just some of your best memories that you have while you were wearing the Gulls uniform, and it could be on and off the ice. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy to think that my first year, we were just talking about it, but it was six years ago already, and um, 
to go to have the team draft Anaheim draft me and think we're going to be in Norfolk and all this. And I've heard good things about Norfolk, West Virginia. And then like, all right, well, we're moving all the teams out West. So where are we going? San Diego? <laughs> not, not a bad place to play American League hockey. And uh, my first year we lived downtown in East village and uh, I've lived with Brandon Montour split in a place. And so we had a nice, a nice condo uh, downtown, like, overlooking kind of barley mash like you poke your head out the lean down the street you see petco i mean it was pretty surreal because i mean i born and raised in alaska played in fargo played in omaha and then this is kind of like my first real big big city experience and also to be in california playing hockey is pretty special but i think that first year just our balance of youth with vets um was nice to be a part of because I don't like it wasn't a very I know professionally you can kind of get in like the clicky groups and um, being a younger guy it's kind of like you see not heard but I think we had a great group of guys that could balance it they invited us young guys out young guys but there's enough young guys that we could kind of go do our own thing too if we wanted to but I think everyone was so welcoming with like hey we're going golfing today we're going to go down to PB uh, then we're going to go you know do something in downtown or a baseball game, whatever it may be. I think there's so much activity going on that you can kind of pick and choose like, okay, well, what do I want to do today? I can go sit at the beach by myself or I can reach out to guys that also want to do that. You know, we can go play, play golf easily. And like, so I think it was a really fun group and I really connected kind of with Jeff Schultz when I was there and just kind of, he was in like the veteran experience and not playing as much as he would like to as well. And so I think we kind of bonded off the ice because we were in a similar situation where he was maybe the older guy looking just kind of veteran experience. And then I was the younger guy that was just kind of coming in and we both weren't playing, but we kind of bonded off the ice and his, his wife is amazing and helped my wife just be feel welcome. And their, their baby boy Cole was just a boy to be around. So I think, uh, uh, a lot of good memories I think spent with Jeff when when things maybe weren't going the right way he was there to help me out as well well to continue on the heels of best memories as we're talking with former Gauls defenseman Brian Cooper let's talk about the Olympics again though just what is the best takeaway that you have from your most recent experience um, I just think the experience overall um, it was just something pretty special just to like you can kind of get in with the without the NHL guys and you know, I've, it was funny talking to people that are going to be, that were 20, I think I was the next to 20-year-old speed skater on the flight back, and I was like, oh, how was your Olympic experience? It was great. You know, I'm hoping I'm placed right. Thought we would, thought I would, you know, so now my goal is to come back in 20, uh, 2026, and he's like, oh, how about you? I go, oh, I mean, it was great. It was an unreal first and last experience. He goes, oh, you're retired? And I go, no, this, I just probably won't get the opportunity again because I think the NHL will be back. Um, so best experience of I think would have to just be like just a group of guys and like actually getting in to step and play the game like to beat Canada to beat Germany to go in and kind of everyone's picking us to finish second last behind behind China and then to go in and win all our pool play you know get a bye finish as the top team out of all of this and get a bye into the quarterfinals you know obviously a disappointing loss to Slovakia but for them also to go on and win a bronze medal like it's such a toss-up because you were like, oh, well, I don't want them to win because they beat us. But at the same time, it just shows that we did lose to a good team. Uh, so I just think the on-ice experience and kind of getting to be under, you know, an NHL coach and Coach Quinn, being back in like the North American style of play and using like, the Swedish tools that I've had with, you know, the puck movement, the work ethic, the skating, 
and just to intricate it back in and say, hey, I could, if I really want to, I can come back to the States. And it was just nice to reaffirm like my style of play and just take some confidence kind of coming back over to Sweden. Is that your best hockey experience that you've had in your career so far? Yeah, I think so. Because I think before that, it was like probably the Frozen Four that I had at, at Omaha when we were in Boston. And, you know, same thing. We, we had a great kind of miracle run going through South Bend, winning our two games against Harvard and then RIT. And then we run into a good powerhouse with Providence. And same thing, they end up going on to win it. Uh, but I think this takes a cake just because it is just the Olympics and you're playing former NHL guys. Like, I even talked to my dad after. like, ah, even if you guys beat Slovakia and move on. And he's like, I don't know if you guys are beating that Finnish team. They're, they're pretty solid. <laughs> uh, but just the overall experience on ice-wise and, like, the – confidence that I had in my game, uh, the group of guys that we had and how close we became over just the, the two to three week period that we were together is was uh, pretty special. I know the staff was really impressed with how the younger guys and older guys meshed and took a lot of ego out of, out of the door and uh, just came together. And I think one of my favorite quotes when we were just sitting on the bench and Mike Casey's Brett Larson, I think... Uh, Brisson chipped the puck, and they go, oh, man, if we got Brisson chipping pucks, and we got a dangerous team because he's a first-rounder first skill guy playing in Michigan, and he's chipping pucks in instead of you know trying to make the fancy play. And so I think that just shows shows what the group was ready to sacrifice in order to win games. All right, that's Brian Cooper. We really appreciate your time. Congratulations on representing our country, and good luck the rest of the way with the Swedish Elite League this year. Yeah, thank you, and I appreciate it. Well, we're due for a break. Fans, again, don't forget about Star Wars night that we have coming up on Saturday. The pregame tailgate from 5 to 7, Star Wars character, a food truck, drink specials, and inside the arena, the Gauls will wear their Darth Vader warm-up jerseys, and a lightsaber demo will go on during the intermission. Game is at 7 against the Ontario Reign. Get your tickets at San Diego Gauls. We have to take a break. We'll talk with Stanley Cup champion and current Gauls assistant coach Max Talbot around the break. Nominate SDCCU for Best Credit Union in the San Diego Union Tribune Readers Poll at sdccu.com slash nominate. If you haven't made the switch, open a free Checking with E-Statements account online today, and you'll also get access to 30,000 surcharge-free ATMs. That's more than the big banks. San Diego County Credit Union. It's not big bank banking. It's better. For details, visit sdccu.com. That's sdccu.com. Soapy Joe's Car Wash has been voted the best car wash in San Diego. Join the wash club and get unlimited washes as well as complimentary vacuums and microfiber towels. You'll have a beautiful car every day. With 16 San Diego locations, visit SoapyJoe'sCarWash.com for one near you. It's good, clean fun. Introducing Seneca Women to Hear, the search for the next great female podcasters. Calling on women creators, innovators, and entrepreneurs. If you have something to say, a story to tell, or expertise to share with the world, we want to hear from you. Apply to the first ever Seneca Women Podcast Academy with iHeart. In partnership with P&G and The Card by Seneca Women, powered by MasterCard and Deserve. If you're selected, you'll be hosting your own show on the Seneca Women Podcast Network on iHeart. Learn more today at SenecaWomen.com. Hello, I'm Estella Ferreira of OG's Sports Brewhouse Pizza, wishing all of the women in my life a great day. Today, we celebrate the accomplishments of the women owners and operators of our OG's restaurants. You are achieving great things. Extra 1360 traffic sponsored by Lexus Carlsbad. It's like a day at the beach. Exit is clearing South 5 before H Street out of the center divide. You're still very slow from the Coronado Bridge. 
South 805, on and off slowing, La Jolla Village Drive to the 15. Right now, Lexus Carlsbad is looking to buy cars. You can get more for your trade or get some extra cash today. See how much your car is worth at LexusCarlsbad.com. Experience customer service like a day at the beach. Only at Lexus Carlsbad. Mark Zeke in Extra 1360. SoCal Hockey Talk continues continues. with Andy Zilch on Extra 1360. Welcome back to the show. Let's introduce assistant coach Max Talbot. Thanks a lot for joining us and welcome to San Diego. My pleasure. Very happy to be here. What's your first impressions of living in San Diego? What have you thought of living here out of the past four months or so? It's been great. It's been really good. Uh, You know, the move has happened quite rapidly for the family and I. I got three little kiddos. Uh, So it was kind of like something that happened out of the blue. But uh, we got here and everybody felt like so welcoming. Uh, We found a nice little home in Poway here. And uh, the first two, three weeks were great because we had time with the kids, right? More time. I was not working yet. And then when camp started and things got going, uh, uh, it became the routine became very good. So uh, very happy to be here. Let's talk about your early days first and growing up, I'm sure hockey was a, a thing of second nature to you. But what drew you to the sport initially? Well, I had two older siblings, two older brothers that were playing. Uh, my dad was uh, coaching us at the minor hockey when we were like in the, you know, four, five, six years old. And then after that, I uh, just played in street, street hockey with my brothers. I was always a, uh, a sport player. Would I watch the Habs every night because I'm from Montreal? Not necessarily. I think I went one time to the old forum to watch the Habs. But... I was into playing and playing sports. I played football also, soccer. So it was something of a winter thing when I was younger. Like I was not year round playing hockey. Uh, I was always very passionate. And then uh, in uh, grade seven, uh, there was a sport and study school where I could go on the ice every day. And that's when I thought that I really started to uh, love, uh, love playing even more the sport. And I was never the best of my team, maybe up until you know junior major where I kind of like, okay, I'm, I'm okay at this, uh, but you know, some, some players like know right when they're young that they'll be professional, they'll be like playing NHL. I was not one of these guys, I, I, it came with, with grit and with, you know, kind of started to believe slowly and, and, and really fought my way through, uh, through an NHL uh, dream. When you were growing up and you're playing street hockey, did the brothers ever throw pads on you and say, hey, get in that? A little bit, a little bit, uh, and yes, they were rough with me too, <laughs> so I did everything. We had a basement that was unfinished, and we played roller hockey actually in, in the basement and, and uh, skateboard and everything, so uh, it was fun, it was rough sometimes, but uh, just good memories. Back in 2002, you were drafted by the Penguins, and what you just spoke about, you know, you never really had it dawn on you until you played junior hockey. What was that day like when you were drafted? Dream come true, you know, almost surreal in a way. Uh, you know, I was captain of my team at 15, major triple A, then you go junior major, you're drafted first round. And then, like I said, you, you fight your way through it. And it was really more of a mindset for me than a skill set. Where every day I came to work with the right attitude, coming and, and kind of fighting my way through, you know, beating guys up to, to be able to, you know, take my place and not beating with my fist, but, you know, in the corners and in practice. And every day I knew that. I had to, to be the best I can be to be able to play. And uh, that draft day, dream come true, but pretty long day in a way where, you know, uh, the draft back in the days were nine round, one, two, three, first day, and four to nine the second. And 
there was rumor I could have been maybe first day. So when the second day started, the uh, fourth round, fifth round, sixth round, up to eight round, it was kind of like my family, like my mom would go and smoke a cigarette with my brother. They would came back and they had tears in their eyes because they were disappointed for me. But, uh, you know, once you put the jersey on, the Pittsburgh Penguin jersey on, you forget all about it. And you realize that it's a foot in the door and then that you have the, again, beat the seven guys in front of you to be able to fight for a roster spot. So uh, just very blessed, to, grateful to wore that jersey that day. And then you wore it for real and obviously for a long period of time. But what do you remember about your very first NHL game? I love hearing the stories because not a lot of guys remember it. Well, first of all, it was kind of a surprise to make the team out of camp uh, in a way where my first professional season was the lockout year in 05. So I played in the AHL as 20 years old. It was a very strong AHL league because the NHL didn't play. So every team sent their prospect to the AHL. So learned a lot down there. Uh, and then my second year, uh, camp start. And I remember from the previous year, there was Shannon Cut and uh, Chris Beach that were kind of in front of me as sentiment. And, and one got hurt, the other one really didn't win. And so I won the last, you know, fourth line center spot. And uh, we were playing on the road in New Jersey. Uh, and I remember looking left and right and I had Sidney Crosby uh, on my right and, and Mario Lemieux on my, my left, like dressing up with Mark Recchi, John LeClaire, Lionel DeLine, all guys that, you know, I grew up watching. So uh, we're in New Jersey and, and across the ice is, is Marty Brother. And so it's pretty, pretty surreal. And I, my family came down to see me. It was in the old uh, Jersey uh, uh, forum. And then uh, I had a two-on-one that game too with Matt Murley and uh, yeah, Brother stopped it. <laughs> well, you talk about Crosby. What was it like being with him while he was coming into the NHL and what made him so good? Well, I was in the same agency as Sidney Crosby with Pat Brisson with CAA. So I met him when he was 13 years old in LA. We came down as prospect to do a camp here. And I remember meeting him. He was 13 years old. He was on the ice with us and we were all 16, 17. And Chris Chelios and Luke Robitaille, we do a game and and he would stick out all around these guys, around the NHL guys, he was 13 years old. So I remember being, okay, this kid is special, right? And then at the World Juniors, I, I played with him too. Uh, and he came to one of the camp when I was 18, he was like 15 and he came to one of the camp just as water boy. And he was around the team. And, and at that age, he was already special. And uh, I mean, growing up to hockey with him, meaning his first NHL season, he was 18. I remember him sometimes just talking to veterans like it was already his own team. And not in an arrogant way, just in a way like, guys, this is, this is it, this is how we do, we do it. So we were all, all the young guys were behind him and he, he became his team the next year. I was 19 when he became the captain. So uh, privilege to have been able to play by his side for six years. Uh, it's for six years, my first six years in the NHL. Learned so much because he's a, he's a special human being. He's a guy that's, you know, uh, you can build a culture obviously around him. And uh, that's very focused, dedicated. Uh, and every decision makes in a day is to be the best he can be, the best in the world. And that's why he's still, you know, the best in the world in my, in my head. So you learn a lot, uh, you know, being around guys like that. Well, I mean, same thing with Malkin too. Like, I know you spoke highly of him. What, what kind of culture did he bring and, and what did you see from him? Well, it's different, right? Uh, Malkin came from Russia and uh, I was his roommate the first, for the first three years of his career. And, and Malkin was about the language, was about the culture. He came out and, and good thing we had the Sergey Gonchar in the team, which was an older Russian guy that 
uh, is a very, very good person that, you know, Malkin could, you know, live at his house and learn a little bit from Gonch. Uh, but uh, he's, a, he's one of a kind also, you know. When I think about these two, they call him the two-headed monster in Pittsburgh, you know. I would always say that, that, that Sydney is, is skilled and Malkin is talent, where, you know, a skill is something that every day you have to work very hard at to become the best in the world. You know, a, a skill is every action, every day focus and talent is, you know, it's like Asterix and Obelix, you know, like uh, uh, Evgeny Malkin just fell in a, how do you call that, a big pot, right, a magic potion where he is very good. He can go the whole summer without skating and he's still gonna go and stink kind of around guys because he's, he's that special. Uh, so you learn from both of them and I was very lucky to have played with those. On 2009, the Stanley Cup championship was yours, and you scored the game-clenching goal. What do you remember about just that game? And you talked about living your dream. That was it right there. Yeah, it was. You know, 2008, we lost in finals against Detroit, uh, which was a good experience for us. And then 2009, we, we go in finals against the same team. I um, was lucky enough to have played that, that, that playoff series and that, that, the whole playoff with, with Malkin and Fedotenko, so I had a pretty uh, pretty good role in, in in that series in game seven you know every, every reporter in the morning it's a dream come true it's, it's it's one game for for the trophy the big trophy and uh, i remember in the morning some uh, reporter asked me max is there's going to be a storyline tonight there's going to be a guy that's going to make the team win and who do you think is going to be you know and my answer was i'd like to think it's going to be me because i i knew i could because i believed in myself because i've done it junior uh, and, and, you know, showing up in big games like that is something that it just doesn't happen. You have to have a mindset and believe in, and believe in yourself. And, uh, and that's kind of what happened that night. And what I remember from it is just being so focused. And if I look at, back at the clip, it's just that. It's an absolute focus. And, and you know, it, it came out, yes, I scored. But at the end, it's just about, you know, being a Stanley Cup champion. That's so amazing, I think. You know, obviously, that's your greatest achievement. But what do you remember about that journey? I, I've learned that the Stanley Cup championship is about getting there and winning it as a group. What stood out during that season, during that run, that was most special to you? Well, it's great because after you have a DVD, right, of everything that happens during that season, because sometimes you don't uh, realize as a player that this is the adversity that we face to be able to be champion. And, and it was far from being a perfect season. A coach got fired in February, Michelle Terran, which brought us to the cup final the previous year. He gets fired because we were 10th in the East. And these are all the lessons you're like, okay, we were struggling. And then we got a new coach that just comes with a different mindset and guys just go and it, it starts clicking. We have Gonshur that came back from injury also and everything started clicking at the right time. And even, you know, during the, the first round, we're uh, game six, we're down three, nothing against the Flyers. And, and so there's so many details in, in, in a Stanley Cup run that can go. And, and I mean, detail, there, there's also luck, right? A penalty at the right time. Uh, we had one time that we were six men on the ice for about 10 seconds, the ref just didn't see it. But if Detroit gets that power play, they score on us, we might never win the Cup. So there is luck also involved. Uh, but a lot of hard work, a lot of different things happen during the season where you're like, okay, the, the addition of all these, these factors made, made us believe, made us play well at the right time. And uh, yeah, that's great. <laughs> when your name is Googled, one of the first pictures that comes up is after the fight when you shh the crowd. What do you remember about that moment with the fight? And I, it was obviously a complete changer to that series. 
Well, that's that's part of the story, right? I think that was part of my, my toolbox when I played is, is being able to play with momentum, change the momentum, knowing when to fight, knowing when to, you know, grab a guy to maybe have a four on four opportunity. And I think it's something that here with the goals too, I, I, I like to teach the guy and talk about it because, uh, you know, hockey game is like a dance. There's momentum in, in games, right? And the, that famous game six where we're down three nothing and I caused the first goal against. Uh, so we start the second period and I, I see Carcel by my side. I'm like, oh, it'd be a good time to go. And I asked him, I didn't think he was going to say yes, but he did. And then uh, we go and fight, in which I didn't necessarily <laughs> want that fight. But, uh, you know, shush the crowd after just by, I don't know, he was going like this. So I kind of did the opposite. And then, uh, yeah, while I was in the box, uh, my team scored three goals and they, they tied the game and we ended up winning that game in that series. So, uh, you know, it's part of the game within the game, I call. And I was very lucky that I had the, the team that, you know, answered to that, you know, momentum change. But uh, it's pretty good, uh, pretty good memories. And another thing when I Google your name, I, I know I'm in the presence of a superstar, but the superstar commercial also yeah. pops up. That's got to be a fun time for you. No comments. <laughs> uh, well, you know, it's part of it. You're young, you're, you're out there. And, and I think the fans enjoy it very much, you know. It's, you do a commercial with, with Gonshar Malkin and Colby Armstrong and uh, we just had fun with it and uh, this commercial would play every, every game, every TV game it was on and a little too much and uh, yeah fans call, started calling me superstars and it became a joke in town but at the end of the day you know we play for the fans and I think the fans enjoyed it and I, I, I did too it was good. You've played for some pretty prestigious clubs obviously the Penguins, Colorado, Philadelphia then you made a decision to go over to the KHL. What was that experience like? It was great. It was after my last season in Boston where, you know, I had two kids at a time and, you know, kind of was looking for stability in a way. Uh, so I, you know, didn't want to sign a contract with going up and down the whole season. And that team in Russia was a pretty aggressive and intense in, in trying to acquire my rights. And uh, did my own work, called a bunch of guys that played there. Uh, called the import, uh, the imports, the other players, and uh, it's a great club. So I, you know, my wife pushed me also. She's like, let's go. She's a figure skater, right? Travel the world. So she was like, Max, I think it's going to be good for us, the experience and everything. So I'm like, let's go. And uh, uh, flew there, went through the camp, which is always very hard, the Russian camps. And I, I loved it right away. It was great. I thought, you know, I always told my wife, if we don't like it, we can always come back. And we ended up being there three years and, and made some great friends, played some good hockey, uh, learned from a great culture and uh, had a blast doing it. So it was, uh, it was a very positive experience all around. When did you decide that your playing career was going to come to a close? My last season, I played for uh, Olmsk Avangard with Bob Hartley and we, we actually went to the finals, but uh, January they got an extra player, so we were six in four, they could only play five. And the whole season, I was pretty banged up, were, you know, a little back problems, growing, my body was just getting older. And uh, yeah, it was a rougher season in a way. Uh, so I came back home and uh, in my head, I wanted to, you know, come back and, and live in Montreal. So uh, it's funny because I, I called uh, Mark Bridgerman, I was a GM Montreal, and I had lunch with uh, Joel Bouchard. And I asked Joel, I'm like, hey, listen, I want to come play for you guys and everything. And, and it was the first season of the Rocket. And, uh, and Burge just said, ah, we have our players, you're too old, you would be a veteran, so they have a spot for me. So uh, yeah, I decided to hang him. And, and right away, I mean, that same night, Pat Brisson called me. He's like, you, you want to come work for CAA and you know, do something else? So 
uh, I was without a job for about, you know, three hours because that same day he called and, uh, and jumped on a boat and, you know, it happened fast, but, uh, you know, at one point you have to, have to stop looking backward if you want to move forward, right? So uh, I still think sometimes that I can play <laughs> and it's tough. It's very tough to stop playing. Uh, but, you know, being back at the ring, being behind the bench is, uh, is uh, to me right now, the second best thing. Well, it's your first season as a pro coach. So what drew you to coaching and, and to this spot that you're at right now? Well, I, I knew as a player taking notes and always, you know, looking at drills, and looking at system. And, you know, I, I knew that one day I, I would love to coach. Uh, so I prepared in the, in the shadows, not being sure I was going to coach. Uh, I had opportunity the first season when I came back. Uh, couple of my, my, my friends or GM in the queue or, you know, hockey manager, and they called me to see if I had interest. I was not ready right after uh, uh, I ended up playing. I want to spend time with the family and try something else. Uh, but then when Joel called me this summer, I felt like it was the right time, right, right opportunity, and with the right head coach also. You know, like, I think it's important to, to trust your gut, and I, I respect Joel a lot from, you know, everything he's done in his career as a player and as a person and as a coach, as a business guy. So I was like, I can go and, and learn from him and, and, and add what I can uh, by his side. And I think that's, uh, uh, it's definitely what, what's happening right now. I love the decision I've taken, uh, uh, coming to a nice organization here in San Diego. Uh, and, and, you know, every day having a chance to, you know, have fun on the ice, teach this young guy to, you know, uh, some lessons that I would have done different sometimes as a player and try to, you know, inspire them and, and motivate them to, to get better every day. Not lately, but for the most part of this year, you've been wearing flip-flops. We all do here in San Diego. This is probably your first experience having to do that, right? What's yeah. it been like? No, it's been, it's been good. I mean, I don't think it, we didn't come here to surf, you know, as a coaching staff. We yeah. came here to do hockey. Uh, it happens that it's a very nice place, which is great. Uh, it's great for the family also. And, you know, uh, but when you're in a season, I feel like it's, it's demanding. It's we're doing hockey here. Uh, but for the kiddos to be able to play soccer in the winter and, you know, it's definitely a great place to live, obviously. And, and the organization has been treating us uh, super great. So uh, I think there's worse place around the league to, to do hockey. That's uh, certain. Well, with your limited free time, what do you like to do around the city? What have you explored and, and came accustomed to? Well, at the start of the season, like I said, when we, uh, we arrived here, we had a little bit more free time. So we went to the beach. We went, uh, you know, uh, surfing a little bit, but we live uh, close to Lake Poway, so we've been hiking a little bit. My wife's running every day and walking a dog, and you know, we haven't gotten to downtown so much yet. We just don't have time, and with the three kiddos, uh, you know, we stay around Poway, but uh, I'm sure when the winter season will be over and the kids are still going to be in school, my, my wife and I will go explore a little bit more. And uh, you know, but what we've seen so far, we absolutely love. I love the California life and, uh, and everything around it. If there was one thing that not a lot of people knew about you, what would it be? Uh, I do a lot of breath work, uh, meditation, uh, spirituality. I don't know if you know people would expect that. That's, uh, uh, but I've been doing that for the last, uh, I mean, even when I was four or five years into meditation, and I went deeply into uh, breathing last year. So. Uh, so I, I, I enjoy that. I, I find peace, I find inspiration and, and, and calm. So uh, I do that quite a bit. That was Max Talbot. We'll take a break and we'll talk with Three Steps Forward founder and CEO, Doug Younger, right around the break. 
Extra 1360 is available everywhere with the iHeartRadio app. Now number one for podcasting. Extra 1360, an iHeartRadio station. It's the run to the madness. Stars have to be stars in March. Extra 1360 will be your exclusive home of the NCAA tournament. From championship week to selection Sunday, the play-in game. All the way to the Big Easy for the Final Four. It's what the madness is about. On your home for one one, one, one shining moment. Three-pointer on its way. Oh, my goodness. Extra 1360. Extra 1360 traffic sponsored by Beyond Van Gogh, the immersive experience. South 805 slows the 52 to the 94. Those speeds are much better. South 5 is still a tough drive from the Coronado Bridge to H Street where an accident still hasn't cleared out of the center divide. Beyond Van Gogh, presented by Keurig. Experience the beauty of Van Gogh in a mesmerizing, immersive experience now open for a limited time at the Wyland Center at the Del Mar Fairgrounds. Tickets available at VanGoSanDiego.com. Beyond Van Gogh, the immersive experience. Mark Zegan, Extra 1360. Thinking of switching up your career? SDCCU might have the right opportunity for you. Voted one of San Diego's best places to work by the San Diego Union Tribune, SDCCU offers great benefits, competitive salaries, paid holidays, and an awesome work environment. SDCCU has opportunities available for all levels of experience so you can learn while you earn. Visit sdccu.com careers to explore opportunities and apply. SDCCU is an equal opportunity employer, federally insured by NCUA. sdccu.com. There's a lot of COVID info out there, but not all of it's true. So it's important to remember the facts. Do COVID-19 vaccines give people the virus? Nope, it's actually the opposite. Vaccines teach our cells how to fight COVID-19. And just like other vaccines, COVID-19 boosters help keep our immunity strong. Share the facts, not the virus. Find a vaccine near you at myturn.ca.gov. Brought to you by the California Department of Public Health. It's SoCal Hockey Talk with Andy Zilch on Extra 1360. Welcome back to SoCal Hockey Talk. My name is Andy Zilch. A reminder yet once more about Star Wars Night on Saturday, 7 p.m. Free pregame tailgate from 5 to 7 with Star Wars characters, a food truck, and drink specials. And the calls will have Darth Vader-inspired warm-up jerseys and a lightsaber demo. We'll hit the ice during the intermission. For tickets, go to SanDiegoGalls.com. We'll welcome in our final guest of the show that is Three Steps Forward founder and CEO, Doug Younger. We have a lot to get to and a little time to get to it in, and we'll talk about the relationship between Three Steps Forward and the San Diego Gulls and your podcast, Twist of Fate. But first, let's talk about Three Steps Forward and the partnership with the San Diego Gulls and the impact of it and how it came to fruition and the benefits from each side. Yeah, one hundred percent. Go Gulls. Um, again, as you said, I am the founder and CEO of Three Steps Forward. We help startups, entrepreneurs succeed. Um, we are a full service marketing agency, and really, what brings us to working with as an official partner of the Gulls, veterans, and honoring them for their service to our country and for their service in some cases to the business communities of greater San Diego. So I love to come down once a month. I come to the games and we partner with Mount Soledad 
to acknowledge a military hero and in some cases a military veteran owned business. And um, as I'm in the field of helping small businesses, I think it's very important to acknowledge the contributions of our of our veterans in the fields in the realms of business, which is in the area that I work. Well, I want to talk on your podcast as well. A twist of fate is what it's called. It's it's a small business podcast. So, what is the main objective for this podcast, and why did you want to create this? The twist of fate is us bringing founders, CEOs, business leaders together to talk about the inspiration for them to start small business or startup activity and our my mission with it is to bring the inner entrepreneur out of everyone you know at the end of the day small business is the backbone of the american economy mm-hmm. and even if you have your day job or your what your routine of what you normally do i think all of us have the potential to pursue uh, their own passions and make their own dreams come true through entrepreneurism. And one day, hey, you know, it can get you out of your job. It can get you out of a, for some people, a, a rut or a stall in their career. It can make them optimists. And that is the American way, baby. Like, that is how it works. So, you know, I, I, uh, I really enjoy this podcast. And, and I also should comment that, you know, the reason for the name Twist of Fate it's similar to athletic contests. I mean, a lot of us have been, we've seen the goals compete on the ice. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when you're behind, you can observe a change in a team and you just know that they're going to come back and win. It's like something clicked. That is the twist of fate. And what we hope is that people understand in business, you know, this whole finding yourself or reinventing yourself is something that's a heroic process mm-hmm. and that. You know, I hope to help all people find a twist of fate in their life, but also in their career. So that's that's kind of the point of the podcast. Now, you're, you're nearing uh, about eight episodes right now on the podcast. Can you give us just a snippet of what fans would maybe expect on some of your guests and some of the, the features that have been in these episodes? Fantastic question, man. I, look, the, if, you're, if you're thinking about listening to our podcast, first of all, our pilot is, is fantastic. Yeah. We started off on Valentine's Day with my wife interviewing me as to what my twist of fate in life was, which, you know, I, I don't want to hide it from you, but essentially the name of the episode is A Death in the Family Inspired Change, hmm. which that alludes to kind of what my own personal twist of fate was to be become a founder, a CEO, and a minority uh, business owner. Now, the second episode, we actually go to a military veteran that actually we gave an award at the San Diego Goals game, that is uh, Tanisha, who uh, is the founder and CEO of a learning center, and uh, and she already got her goals uh, coin challenge, so she's a fan, right? Um, For this third episode that launches tomorrow, which I would encourage everybody to get pumped up and go and check it out. It's actually about creating quality news. Critter and the CEO, uh, Case Palmieri, they are the rotten tomatoes of news. Mm. So what they do is they actually provide a platform that news articles can be sourced, can get a critic score, can get a user score, so that 
there's some level of accountability and responsibility on those that release news. And as you know, in the digital age with social media or whatnot, yeah, the source of an article, it, it, it should be you know, confirmed and checked. So um, I think it's a necessary thing for any democracy to make sure that the quality of news is good. Oh, that's fantastic. How can our fans go access this podcast? Yeah, so um, you can actually stream Twist of Fate um, in any podcast platform of your choosing, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, um, and then you can stream it live on our own website um, where it's uh, Twist of Fate podcast and you can find it through three steps forward my company as well so there's plenty of ways that you can listen um you're i also encourage any individual there are blog articles about the different uh business owners Mm -hmm. as well as uh different social media clips so any social media channel of your choosing linkedin facebook twitter instagram you can get hooked up on twist of fate and we even have a patreon that we have had a few really enthusiastic listeners express their own support of the podcast um and becoming one of our patrons and so um yeah you know there's lots of ways to listen to twist of fate well thank you so much for your time doug younger three steps forward founder and ceo it was a pleasure to talk with you today All right, thanks to Doug Younger for his time here tonight. That is all the time that we have on this episode. The Gulls hit the ice tomorrow in Stockton, 6.30 face-off. The coverage begins at 6.15 on the Gulls Audio Network and AHL TV. For our three guests tonight, we just heard from Doug Younger, but Max Talbot and Brian Cooper, a thank you to all three of those individuals for their time for making this a great episode. We'll catch you on the 21st for our next show of SoCal Hockey Talk. But for now, my name is Andy Zilch. Thanks for listening to SoCal Hockey Talk. You've been listening to SoCal Hockey Talk, an inside look at all the action on the ice with Andy Zilch on Extra 1360. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.